This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jen, who uh, made my mouth drop open today. Yeah. She told me she liked an SUV. Yeah, isn't that Holy crazy? Holy hell, what just happened in my life? I know. I'm so um, in love with it. What is it? Do you remember what it's called? Yeah, it's the, duh. It's the Range Rover. Yeah. <laughs> Valar. What? Valar what? Valar. Valar what? Oh, yeah, no, you're going to have to say it. SV Autobiography. Thank you. <laughs> uh, first of all, I was all about... I'm going to move my mic. Sorry, it's going to make a noise. I was all about the uh, the Lamborghini Urus. Mm-hmm. And then I drove this. And I was like, it's half the price. It's like $100,000-ish. It's a sexy And SUV. it makes loads of noise. I took uh, Nicole, uh, who used to be our head of sales, mm-hmm. out to dinner last night. Yeah. And uh, she's in the back giggling, like, oh, this is so nice. I got my own thermostat, my seat control. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, her car's from like 1972, I think. So uh, oh, clearly. older than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes such a nice. So there's a Range Rover Velar autobi- SV autobiography. And uh, it's really nice. Are, are you Googling it now? No. Uh, it's, I can't even tell you how nice it is. Uh, it's. It's a $90,790 starting price, 550 horsepower. No wonder but I like wait, it. Let me just tell you this, 550 okay. horsepower, right? Yeah. 550 horsepower, the Mustang GT350 has like 529 horsepower, something like this. Mm-hmm. This has 550 and it's an SUV. Uh, MPG is around uh, 20 miles a gallon highway, 15, uh, there's a new rating on MPG, so 15 city, 20 highway, and about 10 for Nick, um, <laughs> because my foot's a little bit heavy, uh, and it, uh, yeah, it's just great, it's amazing, uh, sunroof goes front to back, uh, you can change all the sports modes, it has the really cool infotainment system, they were a bit choky when they first had this new double screen infotainment system, um, they had some bugs in them when they first came out. They've got that down. It's got this high-end leather seating. We are frowning. So it has more horsepower than the Corvette? The, the Cor- 2020 Vet. What was the Vet? 2020 Vet? I thought it was uh, 500 and... Well, 2020 Vet, I think, is 495. Yeah, so it has more. No wonder I like it. Five more horsepower <laughs> than the Vet, baby. SUV. Take that, Corvette. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just have to say I'm driving in that. It's really cool. And I really have like. We'll, we'll do some TV segments on it. And you it. have room for dogs and kids. You're not getting in that car. Are you, are you drunk? You're not getting in that car. I'm not putting my dogs in, in a car, which is $100,000. I'm just saying versus a, a vet. Versus a vet. Oh, you they can... don't fit in the vet. Exactly. So, so that's, <laughs> but I would just say my dogs have their own car. They've had their own car for many years. And mm-hmm. I just buy a cheap SUV that's reliable. Uh, I think I paid like $6,000 on the last SUV. And when <laughs> I have nice cars, they get to ride in the SUV. Um, 
it's it's really really cool well the interior on it is also spectacular it's just such a good job heating the seating position everything mm-hmm. masterfully done uh well done range rover you Ooh. take the biscuit today it's pretty amazing uh, we have a, a really good show today. Yes, we do. Way, as opposed to the the not really good shows. That hey, we normally... every show <laughs> I do is a good show. Uh, uh-huh, we, we're uh-huh. going to get to talk to uh, James Bell mm-hmm. about the Kia Seltos. I uh, drove this Kia Seltos in Texas. I know. And uh, I was pretty By the impressed. way, Nick drives them all. Keep going. Oh. <laughs> Porsche doesn't like me. Yeah, I know. Why? Uh, McLaren doesn't like me. No, that's not true. Bentley doesn't like me. No, Bentley's going to be on. Oh, all right. Bentley, Bentley loves me. you. I like you, Bentley. You're Unless Bentley friend. likes me. Uh, the Kia Seltos <laughs> is this small SUV. It's not the smallest they make, but it's about the same size as a Soul, but it's all-wheel drive. They did a really good job on contenting this vehicle out for not a lot of money. It's around twenty, early low $20,000, like $22,000. They did a great job with that. I like the look um, of it, too. So we are going to talk about the Civic. Uh, a little bit today because I have been driving a Honda Civic and blows my mind that this vehicle is so good and it's been around for such a long time but the new versions are so good. GV80 which is Genesis's new SUV. Uh, Kevin Smith's going to be on. He's the chief bottle washer over at Genesis <laughs> and he is such a nice guy. He used to be at Lotus. Chief and, bottle washer. Yeah, he's in charge of all uh, all bottle washing over at. Uh, uh, yeah, Genesis. he's gonna love you. He's uh, no, it's that's a term of endearment. I thought it was like <laughs> senior group manager. Yeah, that's, that's what his title, his title is. is. I mean, he's in charge of like all of the the cool stuff. Mm. Uh, he's gonna tell us about the GV80, which, by the way, for fifty thousand dollars starting price. Hello, uh, people like Range Rover better be careful. Just I know saying. another winner. It's, Another winner of what? Yeah, GV80. Uh, it's another win winner. Things. Another one I like. Um, some of our colleagues, including Jeff Zerschmied and Andy and Mercedes Lilienthal mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of other guys, Paul. are driving the Alcan Rally lot right now. Yeah, good luck to that. Minus two million degrees. I know. Uh, we're going to talk to them as they drive up on the Alcan Rally. Uh, Toyota, the Avalon and Camry all-wheel drive has finally arrived. They are still the best-selling sedan in America without all-wheel drive, which means if you live in a snow state, now you have the option of getting a ca- an Amory. An Am- uh, a ca- an Am- I love I, it. I put them together. It was camera, uh, Camry, Camry and, and Avalon. Avalon. It's an Amory now. You Ooh. can drive an Amory uh, for <laughs> in all-wheel drive, which uh, I want to see how well they did with that. It's going to be interesting. And Anton Wallman's going to join us. There's been a lot of really interesting news around uh, NTSB, um, around some European electric car sales, China car sales have plunged, coronavirus, mm-hmm. all of these things going on. So and we're Polestar. Talk about that. And Polestar as well. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We've got a lot of uh, this sh- today's show packed with deliciousness. Jam-packed. Just in case you didn't know. Uh, you can, of course, always listen to the show by going to our website at ourautoexpert.com. There you will find lots of really cool videos, car reviews. You'll see my review of the new Corvette C8, which I drove in Las Vegas area, and find out whether this is a true Corvette. By the way, it wasn't the Corvette I was expecting. You have to watch the video to find out. Uh, you'll also hear the previous episodes of this show. They're all in podcast form. You can download them. You can do whatever you want with them. Well, close to whatever you want. Yeah? <laughs> and also, you can read some great articles by uh, Perry Stern and uh, Mike Meredith and R. Voss. Uh, if you want to read about a car, it's probably bound to be there. That's all coming up on the show.
You're listening to Our Auto Expert. All right, catch up with previous episodes of the show by going to the website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows, see automotive videos, read insider car stories about your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. Uh, I recently got to spend some time in San Antonio, Texas, driving the brand new Kia Seltos. And who better to talk to us about that than the guy that uh, shakes all the hands and signs all the checks at Kia, James Bell, joining us on the phone. Does he kiss babies too? Do you kiss babies, James? Oh, no matter what they look like, of course. (laughs) (laughs) There's a joke there, but I'll keep it to myself. Thank you very much. (laughs) The Seltos, uh, by the way, congratulations, Kia, because you have managed, uh, you started off your little chat with us when we were in San Antonio to say, what car has launched two years ago that's still on a waiting list for around four months, which is, of course, your award-winning Telluride, namely the best award that it won was my my SUV of the year last year. Uh, it it uh, it seems to be a trend for you and the Seltos. Uh, although you usually don't find vehicles this small winning many awards, it probably is going to win a bunch because you've managed to get sort of sophisticated styling together with a well-engineered package. And the content, I will say, is probably second to none that you've managed to put in for the price. Well, you know, this is the uh, the give it everything premise of Kia. Um, it, it's how we design, how we build, and engineer the vehicles. And and you know, if I could just touch real quick on something you said there, Nick, about the engineering. Um, I sound like a bit of a broken record here, but it's it's still true. You know, we've got one of the best um, suspension and handling magicians in the business, by the name of Albert Bierman on our team. And and I was so hopeful after he did his his uh, he waved his magic wand over the stinger that we would see that kind of drip onto everything else in our lineup and we could see it in the telluride not saying that the telluride is sporty but it is very coordinated it feels very uh athletic and um uh you know agile uh which for a vehicle that size is kind of a surprise uh and i think what, what we found um you know having the drive there in texas as you mentioned is that the Celtus picks right up on that it's not uh, again you're not going to go looking for some canyon to go uh blasting through chasing up uh, mustangs or porsches or something like that but you come into an off-ramp a little faster than you maybe should be, or there's a spot in traffic you want to jump into, or you just want to have a little bit of a grin in your daily slog to and from work, I think the Seltos might deliver that. And, and we really do attribute that back to, uh, to our, our magician, Mr. Beerman. I uh, love Albert for many reasons, but one of the reasons that uh, several times I've driven at events with him in the last year or so, and one of the times, yeah. uh, you know, every time I get out of car, he goes – uh, what what do you think? And I go, well, you know, it was it was it was good. It was, uh, I was surprised at the the comfort and the responsiveness. He goes, what about the left hand turn when you're going about seventy five? Mm. And I'm like, wow, dude. <laughs> well, I didn't yeah. log how that was personally, <laughs> but but the whole experience was pretty amazing. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. He came of course from the BMW M division, so he has some uh, extremely good pedigree. And now that he's tuning your vehicles, I want to also turn to the design of this because when yeah. everybody's doing these sort of, I guess, lackluster, roundy SUVs that don't have features that stand out you've given us something that has a very square a very modern a very rugged appeal um is mm-hmm. this this the idea i mean on the back of telluride you there's a lot of pressure on you yeah well uh, yes we we think that an suv should kind of look like an suv and, and buck against a lot of the uh the current trend and and you know not to say that the next generation sportage 
might not be more of uh, following in the more futuristic look uh, because that's kind of what the Sportage uh, represents in our lineup. But for vehicles that we think are people are going to treat a little bit more like a, like a utility of old, like the Telluride, like the Seltos, then, then you know, that, that, uh, that boxier uh, outside makes more room inside. It's just a, a fact of physics. You make it too um, angular and, and uh, swoopy and sporty looking, you're cutting down the, uh, the U in utility part. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so we really wanted to maximize that. What's fascinating about um, the Seltos is, of course, it shares a lot of its bones or skeleton, if you will, with the, um, with the, the Hyundai Kona. Uh, which is also, you know, North American Car of the Year award winner, a huge, huge success for Hyundai. Um, so a lot of the componentry is shared there. But if you sit the two vehicles side by side, you can see where the Kona is, you know, again, and there's a, there's a reason for it. They're selling them, but it's more of a slave to fashion. It's more of a, you know, let's make it look a little more, uh, I don't know, swoopy and, and sporty than utility. And so we went a different direction with uh, the Seltos, which we think uh, has appeal. And then, as we already discussed, you throw Beerman into the mix, and you make the thing um, be uh, you know a real pleasure to drive. So, the, the other thing, uh, I mean, it, it, it does combo. have it does have plenty of room, James. And I, and I will tell you that yeah. uh, I. Uh, I'm a very wide guy, and when I sit in seats, my <laughs> shoulders uh, tend to, you know, if if you have these tight racing seats, I don't fit very well in them, just because oh. I have I'm very broad, wide side. Uh, at the same time, there is that I'm comfortable in this, uh, but also the lesser statued lady that I was driving with who, on this event, she was extremely comfortable in it, and we had room for whatever we needed in the vehicle. But the thing that amazes me is the fact that you have packed so much technology into a vehicle. When, when you buy a vehicle like this, it's usually stripped. I mean, if someone's right. paying $22,000 for a vehicle, they the more money you pay, the bigger the size it gets, obviously. But it doesn't get less content. You, you As standard equipment, you've packed it full of stuff and then given us a few options, too. Well, yeah, yeah, thank you for bringing up that price. Yeah, at, at uh, about twenty two nine, as you say, about, so let's call it 23000 we we developed something rather interesting. Every Seltos is going to have all-wheel drive uh, automatic. Right. I mean, standard. That's okay? a that's a four thousand dollar option in many other competition manufacturers. That's right, and it it separates the vehicle from being a uh, you know an SUV or or utility kind of poser, a front-wheel drive little scootabout, as opposed to saying, hey, "Look, we can lock the uh, rear diff here and we can get serious," or the center lock, I should say. Um, but yes, what I think was really fascinating with, uh, what our marketing and our pricing team did was say, let's, let's do every vehicle with all wheel drive. So you get that, you know, for lack of better reason, there's an all wheel drive badge on the side. So when people see a Seltos, they'll think, hmm, this is actually a, a proper little machine. This can do some things that maybe my RAV4 or my CRV could not do. Uh, but then at that entry level price at, at about 23,000, we gave an option. We said, you can either go with an S model that is up, up content, has more safety and, and, and creature comfort features and a little nicer look and feel with front-wheel drive, or you can stick with the all-wheel drive system in the LX model, which is our, our baseline, but this being Kia, that doesn't mean, as you said, it's a strippo. So we do have that, that front-wheel drive, all-wheel drive option just at the least expensive price. And, and when I remember seeing that come across from our pricing department, I, I thought it was a little bit uh, crazy. But now after speaking to folks like yourself at our event and, and uh, other in the media and some of the early customers that are already buying the car because it is in dealers uh, in showrooms now, uh, it seems to be making perfect sense. So we've done it again. Uh, how do you feel that most automakers hate you now? 
<laughs> love it. Are you kidding me? I wake up every day and I look in the mirror as I'm shaving and I say, oh, they hate me. The, but it's, it's interesting that a lot of automakers, you know, like uh, the Ford Explorer against the, the Telluride. Mm. It's like the Telluride is doing what the Ford Explorer ST comes in at. The Telluride top right. of the line is. So you're yeah. going to do the same with the Celtics, aren't you? You're going to just turn everything upside down. You're going to give people more for their money. 100,000-mile uh, warranty on the vehicle, which, of course, you're famous for. Uh, upgraded interior, loads of space, loads of electronics, lots of safety systems, styling, driving dynamics, two different engine choices, a 2-liter and a 1.6. And uh, what else is there to do? Just ruining, th- ruining everything for every other automaker, aren't you? <laughs> not I only hope that, you, uh, remind them all of that. Not <laughs> only that, for the price, it looks just looking at it, it looks luxurious. You yeah. know, it's not like, you know, a less expensive vehicle that's just boxy and plain. Yeah. You know, I love the two tone yeah. colors and the way that it lays out. And you did a good job, my yes, friend. Yes, you did. And it's all you. Let uh, me wait till you wait till you see it at nighttime when you get those um, LED lights, or especially around dusk when the DRLs are still on before the headlights come on, mm-hmm. those DRLs go almost all the way across uh, the entire front of the car in a real thin little white line. Oh, looks badass. Wow. I, I missed that part. James Bell, he is my friend. He is in charge of all the public relations over there at Kia. He's a great guy. The car is a great car. The new Seltos in dealers right now starting just under $23,000. If you're in the market for a small SUV, that should be on your test drive. More Our Auto but You won't believe what we've got coming up. You'll have to stand by for that. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Our Auto Experts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can start a conversation with us. Your questions are greatly appreciated. Just direct your messages to us at Our Auto Expert. Uh, One of the cool things about it is we don't ever call you out, but we answer your questions if we can. Uh, I had a question recently from a, a fan who wanted to know whether the Honda Civic was still a good buy. And so I test drove one the other day. In fact, I'm still test driving it. Let's talk about the Civic uh, overall. Uh, The Type R is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, The SI, which I have been driving, is even amazing. The Coupe is amazing. I actually forgot how cool and modern they were. Uh, And some of the new color palettes as well. They have these grays that they've come out with, these dark blue grays that I think are are absolutely outstanding. So they've done some really good jobs with the color palettes. The one I have uh, have been, has been driving, have been, has been, have been driving? One I have been driving. Um, (laughs) One I have been driving uh, is the coupe version. And I find the coupe version to be my favorite. There may be others that you find to be your favorite. But it comes, of course, in in the four-door, the two-door. You can get a variety of different engines for the vehicle. And it comes with Honda Sensing as standard, which is every Civic comes uh, with the Sensing, a full safety suite, uh, driver-aggressive technologies designed to assist and help protect you which is kind of cool, making sure that you get things like uh, collision mitigation braking systems involved in the vehicle. Uh, One of the problems that uh, you can often have, especially when I'm driving in traffic, if you have to make a left or a right turn, you're edging forward, um, it, it wouldn't be unthinkable that I had bumped the car in front of me because I got too close. I'm watching the road where I'm going to go and they haven't pulled away yet. And I've just tapped them on the bumper. No damage. Everyone was fine. Uh, But collision mitigation can help stop that. They also have the road departure mitigation system as well, which is another system that I recommend everybody getting because as soon as you wander over those lines, 
It tells you off. Uh, they start around $20,000, 20650 for the LX model. And the Touring, which is the top of the line, goes all the way up to around $27,700. And the Touring comes with things like Honda Satellite Linked Navigation System, a 450-watt premium audio system, LED headlights uh, with auto on and off, 18-inch alloy wheels, and many more features. Uh, leather trims start on the EXL. Uh, and then, of course, you could choose uh, to compare the vehicles. I found that going to the Honda website was super useful because I end up finding cool stuff uh, on com comparing different models as well. Very different than driving the vehicle that I have been driving as well, which is that Land Rover, Range Rover, uh, Valar SV Autobiography. Is that the longest name of a car you've ever heard? I've just the, never heard a car Land have an Rover, autobiography. Range Rover Valar SV Autobiography, which is seven <laughs> words for the name of one car. Seven, they should just yeah, name it. <laughs> SV autobiography could be one word technically, but yeah. then it would be Savotobiography. Savotobiography. Mm. But it's SV autobiography, uh, which again has 500 plus horsepower, um, has a really nicely put, and it has a button in there where you can enhance the exhaust. I like the Which seat. I like to do because I like people to notice me when I'm driving away. I like how they have the, the heated seat button. Um, so you turn it to determine what you want, and then you just push it, oh, and it heats the seats. Yeah. So that temperature. I like that too. It's pretty stylish. It has massage too. Did you have the massager on? No. Oh. Well, when I when oh. I pulled out to go to dinner last night, Darn it. Uh, <laughs> I had I had my spouse in the front and I had uh, I had my friend Nicole in the back. And of course, I just revved it a little going down the street because I wanted them to experience that mm -hmm. sound. And uh, I got my other half turned to me and went, "Stop <laughs> it." <laughs> Stop it. And so we got to the end of the street, and then I have to pull out onto another street before I hit the main road. Did you I just... I pulled out, and I, gun I gunned it, it a little yeah. bit, but I didn't gun it like... And it's like, hey, stop. <laughs> you got told. And then, <laughs> and then we got out onto the freeway. Not the freeway, but the, the main road. And I then I floored it a little mm -hmm. bit just to hear it. You and did that with me this morning. Then, so, I, I wasn't flooring it, Jen. <laughs> Well, true, but yeah, was, we only had like five hundred feet. Of room. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and then I put it down. Then I was got. And then I got the old thump in the arm. Oh. It was like stop. Um, I remember taking a friend of mine in the back of the car that never ridden with me before. I have to be, you know, I have to be controlled because I can be a little spirited. Yeah, that's why driving. I have to ride in the front seat with uh, you. I can have to be controlled. And uh, my spouse turned to to the friend in the back seat and said, "Hey." Uh, you've never driven with Nick before, have you? Welcome to my life. <laughs> we have the barf bags in the back seat. <laughs> no, although I had to tell you, I have to tell you, I went to the Corvette launch recently. Mm -hmm. They had special barf bags that fit over your nose and mouth so the barf doesn't go everywhere. Nice. All right, you're not going to guess what's coming up. Stand by. It's going to be fun. Our Auto Expert. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Our auto expert is changing the way that you find out information about cars. Two million Americans get their information by reading some of the most informative car reporting. 
seeing videos along with the newest technology, the latest cars. You can even download the nation's car radio show podcast at ourautoexpert.com. Now, going beyond the objective of rethinking luxury, the Genesis GV80 ushers in a new era of what modern luxury should be with a mantra of less is more. The GV80's exterior design highlights the beauty of white space while delivering a punctuating presence. The refined crest grille acts as the perfect centerpiece to complementary horizontally dynamic exterior theme. We saw the vehicle unveiled just before the Super Bowl in Miami, and the gentleman who was in charge, who stood behind the curtain and orchestrated everything, was Kevin Smith. He joins us on the phone to talk about the GV80. So, Kevin, this is the vehicle that has been one of the most anticipated uh, from Genesis in a while. You had three sedans in your lineup, and you've added your first SUV. Well received? Very well received, extremely well received, and we're thrilled to see that. Uh, I noticed that there was a lot of NFL players um, at your launch, and they seem to be uh, very impressed. Did you get some orders from uh, NFL players during the launch in Miami? We may just have a few. You know, we're the luxury, official luxury vehicle of the NFL, so we've had an ongoing relationship with the league overall and a good ongoing relationship with many of the players as well. That's entirely possible, though. They like to keep that kind of thing private. Okay. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. The, the GV80 uh, is going to compete uh, directly with the German manufacturers. A lot of the existing luxury vehicles in that size, it's sort of the um, BMW X5, uh, the GLE from Mercedes, is the same size as this vehicle. But many of the, the automakers have went to front-wheel drive versions, but you decided to stick with a rear-wheel drive version and an all-wheel drive option uh, what was the reason really for going rear-wheel drive genesis as a brand has always been uh rear-wheel drive only we have our own platforms they're exclusive to us no one else shares them with us and we've always been rear-wheel drive for our three sedans the g70 g80 g90 it made perfect sense that this g80 SUV, gv80 suv would be rear-wheel drive as well it's going to ultimately share this same platform with the new g80 sedan so this was the first one out of the gate, the GV80 uh, as SUV, and then when the sedan comes along, it will share presumably some of those driving dynamics. I noticed when we spent some time together and did some TV in Chicago where the car was first on the floor of any auto show, one of the things that you showed me was the amount of versatility, especially in the back and the back rows. Uh, you made it very simple to operate so somebody could have all the rows up or all the rows down down and you wanted to make it easy for someone to be able to access the space and utility of the vehicle yeah we, we wanted to make it very usable you know we we set out when we designed and developed the gv80 to make a great genesis first and foremost and secondarily it needed to be a great suv as well but we wanted it to be a pure genesis through and through and, and we've done that with the ease of use and and functionality that it has you can stand right at the back of the vehicle with the hatch and with the rear tailgate open and there are switches for the middle row and the rear row as well. If it's equipped with the rear row, that's optional. Um, but the, the middle row seats fold automatically at the press of a button. You do have to manually fold them back up if you want them back up. The third row, if the vehicle is equipped with it, will fold automatically with the push of a button or fold back up at the push of a button as well. 
It's so, very functional, very user-friendly. So it's easy to get them up and down if you're taking, uh, you need the third row usage for extra passengers, or if you need the space for luggage, you can just operate it from the back. I think I very rarely see anything outside of the super luxury vehicles that is as well designed on the inside as this. And there's plenty of mediocre vehicles in the U.S. that we don't waste our time talking about it. We only uh, enjoy our time talking about the vehicles that we're impressed by and definitely impressed by the interior of the GV80. Uh, Not only do you have sort of this wood treatment throughout the interior, but everything is padded. Everything is diamond stitched. Everything is finished nicely with chrome bevels. You have a very that goes all the way across the front there seems to be an awful lot going on here and worked hard to give it sort of that cockpit luxury yacht feel absolutely and it, we, we call this and you mentioned it in the opening i think nick the beauty of white space it's an architectural design philosophy in korea where you want to have a, a, a very clean uncluttered minimalist almost look to the space and it seems roomier and simpler and easier to use that way. And, uh, and all of those capabilities and attributes are true of the GV80. If you look throughout the cabin, we have the knurled chrome surround rings for cup holders and things like that. It's pure luxury all the way to the third row in the back. If you sit in the third row, you've got all the amenities and luxury accoutrement that you have in the second row or the first row. It's, it's a Beautiful, beautiful space inside the cabin of this GV80. And to give you sort of extra space in there, uh, you've managed to utilize some of the center arm console uh, uh, there to to have stuff underneath like your power ports and where you can store a phone or that sort of thing. You can close off the cup holders, which means that you get a much smoother and much larger wood space as well. And even the padding down the knee padding, you've actually thought, well, what happens if someone bumps their leg or their knee as they're getting in or out? You wanted to make yeah. sure that it was it was it was well thought out. One of the things that I noticed, haven't got to play with because obviously we haven't driven this yet and we'll have to wait until the summer to do that. But one of the things that I noticed is it seems to be equipped with a lot of technology. There's a big screen and there's also driver gauges, which are a large screen instead of having uh, the regular driver gauges. So you, you seem to have a technology packed in this. When we get to play with that, will we see a lot of new technology? You will see a lot of new technology. The, the large screen on the center of the dash at the top is a 14 and a half inch diagonal screen. It's a split screen into three different segments if need be for various information and and, and getting the different features of the vehicle. The instrument cluster itself is a 3D instrument cluster with a lot of information and a screen in it as well. And the HVAC system, if you notice, is actually not the typical, you know, chiclet-sized buttons all over the place. It's a touch screen as well for the HVAC system in the center of the dash. It's beautifully well laid out. It's very user-friendly. It's easy to learn and understand how to use everything and get to the features. It's got new world-first technologies in it called, uh, like, road active noise cancellation. So consider it a large set of Bose or another brand's uh, noise-canceling headphones you might wear on a plane and a flight. This will do that for you. It'll, it'll read the sound coming into the cabin of the vehicle from the road noise outside, and it creates instantaneously the absolute opposite sound wave to counteract that sound and quiet it out. It's, it's beautiful. I love the the fact that also you've put in some so, so some extras in this where there's uh, you have three world's first technologies and that's one of them is the road noise cancelling. What are the other two? Another one is the active motion driver's seat. So you've got seven air bladders in the driver's seat as you're driving on a long drive. The seat will adjust itself and inflate deflate those bladders to make sure you're comfortable in the seat so it's it's more comfortable for a long drive. 
And the uh, third one, frankly, I can't remember. Which one are you referring to? I think there was three world firsts. I do remember there, but I'll probably I'll probably work out what it was. Um, I'm I th- sure there's at least three. Yeah, at it's, least three. The car's, it's got so many features that it's hard to commit them all to memory at this point. I've got to get more time with the vehicle and really learn it through and through. Absolutely. Uh, well, I was surprised that Genesis decided to do a three-year service. Uh, guarantee with their vehicle. So does that mean that uh, that you, just for three years you take it back to your Genesis dealer and he will take care of those scheduled maintenance? We've had that for years, Nick. We've had that as, as long as we've been a brand for four and a half years now. We've had uh, complimentary scheduled service, scheduled maintenance, as well as uh, service valet. So when you own a Genesis vehicle, any, any model, GV80 or any of the sedans, at this point, you simply make an appointment with your service uh, dealer for a service visit, whether it's customer pay or a warranty visit, and they come and bring you a loaner car, pick up your vehicle, take it into the shop for the service or repairs that it needs, then bring it back to you afterwards and pick up their loaner vehicle. You don't even have to see the dealership. All that time you used to sit in waiting rooms at dealerships are no longer. You can go play golf, you can get work done, you can spend time with your family, uh, and it's a fabulous thing we have over 84 percent of our customers take on take us up on this service valet offer across the country i love that i love that uh one of the things that some people have a hard time with with these uh, vehicles is sort of maneuvering them in city streets but you guys made that easier uh with the remote smart park assist um and your sort of basically suite of safety features uh is this the first time that we've seen something like this it is. Uh, I don't know that it's the very first time, but because uh, other vehicles in the past have had parking capabilities of various sorts. But I, I teased my friends at Hyundai, at our sister Hyundai brand, because they had a wonderful ad in the Super Bowl, uh, all but Boston accent, smart park, smart park in the Sonata, which is great. And our GV80, of course, has smart park as well. But here's what's cool about it. Our GV80 will also parallel park automatically. So oh. we have what I call super smart park. A super smart park. <laughs> that, that regularly. I feel like I feel like Kevin with a Genesis. It should maybe have an English accent like su- super smart. Uh, yeah, su- super, super smart park. park? <laughs> yeah, super <laughs> smart park. Uh, Absolutely. There's a lot of technology in this. There's a lot of cool stuff. It looks really good. Uh, there's a nice, uh, a nice big engine. So you have a 2.5 liter turbocharged engine, or you can experience the available 3.5 liter twin turbo engine. However, how is this thing going to handle um, on some rough roads? Is it going to be a thrill to drive uh, maybe in the gravel and the snow? You know what I'm told? I frankly haven't driven it yet myself because I, I missed. We had, a, we had a drive out of our, out of our proving grounds. Um, when I was back in Miami, they had a drive in the proving grounds that I missed. And I'm told by my colleagues that did experience that drive, they drove, of course, fabulously well on road. Um, the chassis dynamics are all top-notch, uh, achieved and developed by uh, our head of research and development, Albert Bierman, and his team of, of cohorts. They do beautiful work for on-road presence. But also what su- surprised my colleagues and would, would do so myself as well is when they took it off-road, they said it was extremely capable off-road, like Land Rover capable off-road. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's a, that's a surprising attribute of the vehicle. I'm ready. I'm anxious to experience myself. 
I, I'm, I'm ready and anxious to experience it myself, Mr. Smith, and I should be looking forward <laughs> to your email inviting me to do so. Uh, let's just switch slightly to the New York show, hoping that that's after the cancellation of Geneva, hoping that that's going to go ahead. Traditionally, Genesis have always had a big presence in New York as an important market for them, New York, or for you in New York. It's a, it's a luxury market. It's where you show off a lot of your, uh, your wares there. Should we be holding our breath for the New York Auto Show? You absolutely should be holding your breath for the New York Auto Show. I spoke with one of the uh, representatives of the New York Show yesterday on the phone, and he assured me that the show will go on as planned. At least that's the, that's the plan for now. Right. We'll see what happens in the weeks ahead. But they plan to move forward with the show. Uh, we have big, big plans for New York, as we typically do. Those plans in the past four years have always included consistently concept vehicle reveals in New York. Uh, I will tell you, it won't be a concept that we reveal this year. It'll be Ooh. something for production. Ooh. And it'll That's be exciting. a global reveal of the vehicle. Uh, I, I, you got, you've got me anticipating now. Mm-hmm. Um, I will look forward to that. I'm going to take a, a wild guess that it could be something that ends in 80, but we'll find out. <laughs> uh, we'll find out about that. Kevin, it's a, always a great pleasure to have you on to talk about the Genesis uh, product. Uh, the GV80 will be arriving this summer, late summer at dealerships. Uh, you should at least test drive it, even if you are looking for something else. Uh, fill up your life with test drives. They're free and they're fun. There's some really good stuff coming up on the show. You don't want to miss what we've got for you next. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the Northwest and Southeast. This is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, with Truck Girl Jen in the studio today. Um, Many of us do not like the cold weather. In fact, we like the warm weather. Jen doesn't like cold. Her body doesn't like cold. Mm-mm. She doesn't like being wet. Mm-mm. There's a lot of things Jen doesn't like. She doesn't like cars. She what? likes trucks. What? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. No, I like cars. Specific cars. Mm-hmm. Fast ones. You are difficult. What? Capital D difficult. No, I am not. Yeah, you are. No. How? You are. How? I don't want to drive anything but a Chevy. No, that's not true. <laughs> Rolls Royce, McLaren. Well, I don't like electric cars. Ferrari. <laughs> See where we're going with this? Um, so a lot of people don't like cold, but one person elected to go and get their backside frozen off, and that is our friend uh, Jeff Zerschmied. He, uh, he is preparing for the Alcan rally. Are you actually on the rally now, Jeff, or are you started yet? Or are you we, just... we, He's on we've been on the rally for four days. Oh. We're in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory today. And uh, heading up to a town called Dawson City later today, this afternoon, uh, we've been we've been rallying competitively for four days. Uh, we're sitting 12th overall out of about 40 cars. Way to go! And uh, yeah, well, I, we wish we were higher, but uh, you know, we'll take it. We'll take it. We think we're doing pretty good, and uh, we're just having a great time. It is so beautiful up here. And yes, it is cold. It was 18 below this morning. I saw your photos. And, uh, boo. boo, by the way, boo. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's you know, it is what it is. You come up here for the snow, it's going to be cold. Uh, but we've been seeing, you know, some amazing mountains and 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 vistas up here, and uh, the wildlife has been incredible. We yesterday alone we saw um, bighorn sheep and uh, tons of bison. Oh. You know, probably about a hundred bison altogether. Wow. 
and uh, and some caribou. Wow. All right. Well, that's what you ha- that's what happens to you if you go to Canada. You have to see caribou. Um, let yes, we let, see the caribou. We eat the poutine. It's all good. <laughs> give me give me a, a sort of synopsis of the Alcan Rally for someone that's not familiar with it. Okay, uh, you leave from Seattle and we head north and uh, we come all the way up through BC, which British Columbia, which most people don't know is bigger than California. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, when you finally reach the far north, uh, we're up here about 60 degrees uh, north at Whitehorse. And then uh, we continue on up and we cross into the Northwest Territories and we uh, stay the night in a town called Inuvik, uh, which is north of the Arctic Circle. We'll cross the Arctic Circle tomorrow. And then we go on up further uh, to the shore of the Arctic Ocean. So think of it as the north coast of North America. Um, in a little town called Tuktiaktuk, and uh, we stand, we look at the ice, and uh, and and then we turn around, and we drive back um, as fast as you can. This rally, <laughs> and we end this rally in Anchorage uh, next uh, on next Friday, a week from the week from yesterday, and uh, so we're going to come back down through uh, through Inuvik, through uh, Whitehorse, and then go over to Fairbanks, Alaska, and then down to. Uh, down to Anchorage to end, uh, but along the way we've got we've got hot springs. We also yesterday uh, soaked ourselves in a hot spring um, uh, in British Columbia, and we've got another hot spring visit planned in uh, in Alaska while we're there. All right, uh, t- is this a timed rally? So you have to hit certain points at yeah. certain times, or, or how does it work? Yeah, yeah, they give you an average speed to maintain along a road, and then they time you at various points on the road. And if you know the time you're supposed to leave um, and you know the average speed you're supposed to maintain, you can predict to within a second when you should arrive at any given point on the road. And so they time us, and for every second that you're early or late, you get a penalty point. So it's like golf. Low score wins. Wow. Um, And we've been, like I said, we've been at it for four days now. Um, It's quite a challenge to maintain an average speed um, along a road, especially when it's snowy and you're climbing a hill or descending a hill um and it's quite fun and we're having a great time so what has put you in 12th position did you miss time a couple of uh, uh stop points or how did that work yeah we uh we just sometimes you're driving along and and uh you just you just get a little optimistic with your throttle and you end up early uh sometimes you uh you get slowed up by uh could be local traffic it could be um a, a hill you have to climb or or something like that uh, you know bad snowstorm and you end up a little late um but uh you know we're, we're doing okay we're actually not far off of podium contention the the third and fourth place cars are just right right with us on points um, wow. and so if we have a really good day today we can um, we can maybe overtake them and get into podium position so presumably, if you have the stopwatch sitting there, you can go. Uh, we're we're due there in like twelve seconds. You can slow down to a crawl and then that, punch it across the line. That is exactly my job. <laughs> I am the navigator of the team, and uh, and I basically yell at the other two guys to speed up or slow down. Um, it's great if you enjoy backseat driving. You'd love being a rally navigator. Can yeah. you get? Can you give me a little experience of that, Jeff? Can you yell at me like I'm going too fast? Please. Okay. Uh, say, say we are coming up on your mark. Uh-huh. See that sign up ahead? That's yeah. your mark in 20. 
in 15. No, slow down, slow down, you're early. No, I mean slow. <laughs> and then we crossed the line, and I said, perfect, right on the dot. Now maintain the cast. The cast is the average speed. Um, you know, maintain the average now. And I'll give you another, we call them a hack. Whenever you reach a fixed point where you know the time you're supposed to be, it's called a hack. And, uh, and I'll give you another hack when we, uh, in another mile when we cross the next mark. Jeff, uh, if that's you yelling at somebody, I'd like to see when you're absolutely furious. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm absolutely furious, I might say fiddlesticks. <laughs> hey, Jeff, now this is your second time, is that correct? This is my second time up here in the north on the Alcan Valley. I went once before in 2008, had a great time, finished third in class back then, and uh, ninth overall in that, that year's rally, and um, uh, had a great time. All right. Jeff Zerch means on the Alcan Rally right now. Maybe I should give him some yelling lessons uh, a little bit. And he, uh, no. he could yell. He, he could be yelling, you know. No, we're supposed to be cheering him on. Slow down! Slow! Slow down! Go, no! go, go, Jeff. <laughs> More Our Auto Experts coming up on the show. Uh, don't forget the website, ourautoexpert.com. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Catch previous episodes of the show at our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear the past shows, see our automotive videos, read inside the car stories about your next ride. You'll find them all at ourautoexpert.com. This is where 2 million Americans get their automotive news every single day. Uh, Toyota have been hitting it out of the park with the Camry for over 15 years now. This has been uh, the best-selling uh, sedan in America. It's one of my choices of best sedans on the American market. I have chosen four of those this year. We'll be revealing those next uh, next week, but we're teasing you with it this week. Uh, so the Toyota Camry, for the first time, gets uh, all-wheel drive. Developed and assembled in the United States exclusively for North America. Available as a standalone option as most uh, model gra- on most model grades. Uh, exemplifies fuel efficiency with a 202-horsepower engine. And, of course, is on the same TNGA platform that the RAV4 is on. That's Toyota's brand-new platform. Uh, we thought we'd get somebody on who knows way more about this vehicle to talk to us. It's the gentleman who chief-engineered it, Mark DeLong. He uh, chief-engineered the Avalon and the Camry all-wheel drive and advanced advanced vehicle projects. Uh, Mark, first of all, it's been a long time coming to get this vehicle to market, but you seem to have managed to still be the best seller in the segment without all-wheel drive. Presumably, this is going to make a lot of people above the Mason-Dixon line very happy. Yeah, I think so. So it's been since 1991 when we had our Camry Alltrack, and so that's that's been quite a while ago. But, uh, you know, we've we're listening, and we're listening to our customers, and uh, we're hearing that they want all-wheel drive, the confidence that they can get from that all-wheel drive system. So we're bringing that to the Camry and the Avalon vehicles. It was probably fairly easy to put this together, I'm guessing. I mean, as easy as engineering any other car, because you already had the TNGA platform, which uh, this was sort of adapted with uh, all-wheel drive as a possibility in mind. Yeah, the TNGA is, this is one of the beauties of TNGA, is very able to take that uh, RAV4 drivetrain and all-wheel drive system. We're also taking the rear suspension member from all-wheel drive and we're putting it into Camry and Avalon. And we're doing it, as you mentioned, fairly easily. Some minor modifications here and there. Uh, The center tunnel area on Camry and Avalon needed a little bit of a bump out, so a few changes there to allow room for that prop shaft to to go down the center of the vehicle. We also had to create a new saddle tank 
uh, fuel tank for the for the vehicle again to allow room for the uh, the prop shaft. But but yeah, overall, it's definitely one of the beauties of TNGA to be able to do this pretty quickly. Let, let's talk about the, the the development and testing of this vehicle uh, because. Obviously, when I look at RAV4 and I look at Camry, Camry seems to be so much of a bigger vehicle, not taller necessarily, but it sort of seems to be wider and bigger. But the fact is that they're not that far apart, really, are they? You know, they're, they're really not. They're, they both ride on our K platform. We do have a K sedan platform and a K SUV platform. And so there are some slight variations in the floor height. But uh, what we're able to do is take suspensions and uh, to move them around and keep them, you know, whether it's in the SUV or in the sedan, we're able to uh, interchange them pretty easily. How does the performance change in this vehicle? Because I know that when you change engine sizes or you change uh, from a two-wheel drive or a rear-wheel or front-wheel drive to an all-wheel drive, there's a lot of testing that needs to take place. Not only testing to make sure that it handles like a Toyota, it handles like a Camry, that people that are used to those vehicles won't notice uh, uh, anything but improvements in them. But at the same time, you've got to do a lot of crash testing and a lot of testing to make sure that this vehicle can manage in you know, really harsh conditions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when when you think about the front-wheel drive Camry and the difference for the, for the all-wheel drive, one of the big changes is that prop shaft running down the center of the vehicle. And if you think of a rear impact, now the rear impact is going to be quite different when the, it's, uh, you have a prop shaft that's uh, now part of the absorption structure or something that's in the way. So we've still got to do some of the crash testing that we do in a major program, but not as much. So it's fewer amount of evaluations, a fewer amount of testing, but uh, it's still got to be done. One of the big evaluations that we spent a lot of time on was the traction control system and trying to tune that in correctly. And, you know, with a front-wheel drive system, sometimes the, the front uh, wheels will uh, the engine will detune and the front wheels will start stop spinning. But with the all-wheel drive system, we really wanted to be able to keep the rear wheels going and keep it spinning and get the let the vehicle do what it wants to do to get you where you want to be. I think that when I think of uh, you know Camry, you want someone that wants a dependable vehicle that you can go out into the garage and start every time. That you're going to have a vehicle that needs less maintenance is is still fun and still exciting. Uh, did were those the things that you? What were the main core evaluations that you wanted to make? Yeah, we really wanted the the confidence and natural feeling when you drive the vehicle when. We see one of the reasons people are moving from SUVs, from sedans to SUVs, is for that confidence of all-wheel drive. So we wanted to bring that confidence into the sedan. So it's this natural and confident feeling every time you get in the car. The car is going to do exactly what you expect it to do, and where you want it, to, what you want it to do, and it's going to go where you want it to go, where you expect it to go. Uh, you have been working on Camry for a while, haven't you? Uh, I've been on Camry for a while, but I've been on uh, Avalon uh, quite a bit longer than that. So now the Avalon also gets the same treatment. Let's talk a little bit about that. Was it really plug-and-play for the Avalon as well? You you know, uh, Camry led the development, and Avalon uh, was behind by about six months. So once we 
got Camry going. Avalon was fell in line pretty quickly and uh, was uh, quite a bit simpler than Camry just because we could now carry over some of those crash evaluations that we did on Camry. Now we don't have to do that on Avalon because we've already proved out the system. It doesn't seem to have stopped buyers. I know this isn't necessarily an engineering question, but it doesn't seem to have stopped buyers who live in states which have uh, horrendous winters where it gets very cold and very snowy. They, they, they seem to be quite happy to buy Camry without all-wheel drive, but they were telling you that they wanted a Camry with all-wheel drive? Yeah, we're, we're definitely hearing from the customers um, that they do want this all-wheel drive system. And um, we're expecting about a 15 to 20 percent take rate in around the country for the all-wheel drive system but in our northern areas we're expecting a lot higher we're already hearing from dealers that some dealers want to order a lot more than just the 15 percent they're looking at 60 percent or more of the take rate simply for the all-wheel drive system uh how did you test it where did you go did you go some uh, you know some arctic places to put this on the road and to do some ice testing in the vehicle well, we did all of the engineering work in Michigan, and uh, northern Michigan is blessed with lots of snow and cold. So we did a lot of our evaluations in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in the Houghton area, and that provided plenty of what we what we needed in, for the cold and snow. Yeah, and no, Upper Michigan and UP seems to be where a lot of people have their test centers, especially for winter driving. So, uh, you know, that worked out. Do, is is there a premium? Uh, is it expensive to get the all-wheel drive system? With the Camry, it's a $1,400 difference between a front-wheel drive system and an all-wheel drive system, and that holds true from uh, from the LE grade, XLE grade, SC, and XSC. All of them are a $1,400 price change. So the LE all-wheel drive will now start at 26370 That's for Camry. For Avalon, it's a little bit of a different story. You know, we don't have a standalone L4 in the Avalon. We have a V6, then we have the uh, L4 hybrid system. So when we look at the V6 versus an L4 all-wheel drive Camry, we're not releasing MSRP right now, but our target is to have the same MSRP for either option, either the V6 or L4 all-wheel drive, same price. Uh, it seems to me that it would be a lot more expensive than $1,400 to develop this for each yeah, car, but uh, it seems like good value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, that's one of the beauties of the TNGA, right? So we've got RAV4 and RAV4 has done a lot of the development and we can carry over a lot of that development work that's already been done. Well, I'm getting to drive the new Camry uh, from uh, Chicago to Milwaukee to Indianapolis this coming week. So I'll, I'll let you know how it does in the, uh, in the, in the inclement weather. Uh, Mark, thanks for taking some time out to join us today. If you want to test drive the new Camrys, they'll be arriving with the all-wheel drive into dealerships as we speak, as well as the new Avalon doing the same you can also find out more about these vehicles at ourautoexpert.com more show coming up wait till you see what we're going to say about stuff next <laughs> you're listening to the our auto expert podcast our auto expert is on facebook it's on twitter we're on the instagrams and you can start a conversation with us. So send us a question. Just direct message us at our auto expert on all of the top 
media platforms. Every week he joins us on the phone to talk about what the latest news is on uh, Wall Street, in the back rooms of all these car companies with electrics and autonomous cars. He's an independent analyst and investor. Anton Wallman is his name. You can read his stuff, much of it, at Seeking Alpha and also The Street. So, Anton, it's been an extremely busy week for us. We should be a hard, sought-after radio show not to talk about uh, the fact that shares have had a tough week. How did automotive companies fare in all the share tumbles? Well, the automotive sector, of course, is going to be uh, meaningfully hurt in the short term on average across the world as a result of the fact that over the last 15 to 20 years in particular, the supply chain of all the parts and components that go into manufacturing automobiles has become so integrated that if there is a disruption at any place in the world for any reason whatsoever, it doesn't matter whether it's a uh, virus or a war or something else, or even a handful of ships that were to dive straight down into the ocean, it's going to have an impact on uh, manufacturing. And that is exactly what we're seeing. Uh, The supply shock that has come from inside China is already impacting manufacturing of automobiles in a variety of plants all around the world. So $11.4 billion is what we buy from China in uh, car parts in the United States. Other countries are considerably less than that. Do we have the most to lose from uh, China not being able to survive parts, supply parts because of uh, their factories shutting down because of the coronavirus? All other things equal, the answer is yes. So uh, in a car where there are many thousands of parts and components and other subsystems, uh, all it takes is for one part to be missing, and that assembly line is not moving forward. So uh, to the extent that manufacturing in the United States, on average, is more dependent at some part in the food chain leading up to that final assembly line on what's going on in China, then yes, indeed, we are going to be impacted from that but we have also seen shutdowns or near shutdowns or soon to be shutdowns all over the world from this ranging from south korea where the uh, manufacturing line that makes the hyundai palisade has been shut down we've seen a fiat factory in croatia being shut down we've seen warnings from jaguar land rover in the united kingdom and all it takes is that one little thing that uh, eventually uh, traces itself back to china and uh, uh, there's going to be a problem Let's talk a little bit about uh, the future coming out of this, presumably that we recover without problems from this coronavirus. Uh, ultimately, you know, the, the, these viruses tend to uh, come and go. Uh, we haven't seen it quite to this scale, but they come and go. So what happens in the future? Do we try and disperse our reliability on China and start making parts elsewhere? Uh, what do you think the outcome is going to be long term? Well, clearly there's going to be an intensified look at how do we possibly minimize the scenario in the future. The problem there is that there are no really easy answers because just because on this particular occasion a bug like this originated in China, what's there not to say that next time around, let's say that the manufacturing uh, food chain is more heavily reliant on uh, Brazil, Mexico, Alabama, Russia, pick, pick any place in the world. Well, what happens next time around when some bug originates over there? Um, so, you know, this is this is a little bit of a whack-a-mole. So this time it was China, but 
maybe you have to make the assumption that uh, the next bug will also originate in China for this to become a viable sound strategy to diversify away from China for this particular reason. Otherwise, you're you're not really improving the chances for uh, surviving what's going to come next, whether in a year from now or in a decade from now. In the 45 seconds that we have left uh, before the break, this does this mean ultimately that we're going to end up paying more because China is clearly the cheapest place to have these things made? Is it going to mean that prices of things are going to start to increase? Correct. We're going to pay more for two reasons. First of all, the cost of the components will have to go up. And secondly, in the short term, the sheer quantity of output, the supply in the supply-demand equation will shrink, leading to higher prices. So, yes, we will pay more. If you're buying a car, if you're going to be in the market, probably time to go out and buy one uh, as soon as possible because all other things equal, this will push prices up. Do you, does it make a difference where we buy a car from or you know, whether that person will have the spare parts if we need them in five years? Nah, that, that is, that's, that's too difficult to gamble out of. If you, if you want anything particular, I'm just encouraging people to move a little bit faster uh, based on this. A lot of things equal because supplies may be a little more scarce in the coming months. All right. Anton Wallman is with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about NTSB. They had some reports going on, the Tesla Model Y. Uh, Tesla sends out an email. We're going to tell you what that contained. Plus, have a look at European car market that's coming up. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Are you thinking about changing your car? Read some of the most informative car reporting and see videos that talk about the newest technology, the latest cars. You can even download the nation's car radio podcast at OurAutoExpert.com. He's on the phone with us. He joins us every single week to talk about the automotive industry, Anton Warman. He's an independent analyst and investor. You can read the majority of his stuff at Seeking Alpha or The Street. Anton, NTSB had some reporting on Tesla this week, which was pretty shocking. Yeah, so the NTSB, the National Traffic Safety Board, which uh, investigates accidents uh, involving uh, cars and airplanes and so forth, they basically haven't been they've been investigating accidents that involved uh, Tesla's use of uh, autopilot and uh, so-called full self-driving technology, which isn't actually full self-driving, but they call it that anyway. And uh, it is specifically investigated for such accidents that have taken place over the last couple of years. And uh, they explained how these uh, investigations take place. They they ask the automakers some questions, and then eventually they tell the automakers that you've done this or that wrong, and you have to fix this because uh, what you're doing isn't right. And an automaker has 90 days to respond to the NTSB, and they say, well, all automakers... Uh, always respond within 90 days and follow their directives, except one. And that one company is Tesla, which uh, they said they uh, have yet to even receive a response for. And it's been, as of the time of their press conference, which was held a few days ago, they said it was had now gone 881 days um, and uh, no word from, uh, from Tesla. So they were very dismayed by the fact that... Um, uh, NTSB was simply not uh, responding to their commands. All right. So Tesla have a bit of a, especially Elon Musk, but Tesla also have a bit of a reputation for disobeying and going against the grain with the government. Uh, is there any penalty for them not responding? So far, the answer appears to be no. Uh, it was uh, mysteriously missing, really, from that press conference. Any word on, all right, you've t- you told us now that the company is simply not in compliance, that they have 
gone almost essentially 10 times as long as they are allowed to uh, before addressing these concerns. And uh, what have you done about it? And uh, unless I completely missed something, the answer is they haven't done anything about it. And uh, therein resides a big part of the mystery. I mean, uh, is it okay if everybody just goes ahead and uh, ignores these people? Uh, what what is there to stimulate anybody else to do reporting if Tesla doesn't bother? Why should Waymo or why should anybody else uh, start reporting if Tesla can't be bothered to do it? Well, that, that's the big question. I mean, everybody, every company normally says that if you get a, a letter from uh, a court or a three or four letter government agency of some sort, uh, you'd better respond in time. At the end of the day, you may have a disagreement about the conclusion or anything like that, and then you voice your disagreement accordingly, but at least you respond. And uh, uh, in this case, uh, such responses, uh, we are told, appear to be simply missing. And this is a very, very big mystery that you have to wonder, uh, why is no action being taken to essentially compel the company to respond? And, and uh, I really don't have that answer for you. Okay. Well, Tesla getting away with it, it looks like. On the good news for them, the Model Y deliveries begin probably around March 13th. That's right. So the Model Y was introduced, uh, uh, on, I think it was March 14, a year ago, in 2019. And uh, the company is on track to make the first delivery just under the one-year mark of, uh, of that introduction. So they've been building uh, probably a couple hundred or so of these Model Ys already, and uh, and prepared, it appears, to uh, to deliver them here within the next uh, two weeks. So uh, that'll mark uh, an important step for the company, given the fact that this is a very attractive and very popular body style and size that uh, Tesla thus far has not uh, addressed uh, addressed head on. So that that'll be very interesting to see. And uh, the thing is, though, that uh, what is the true demand for the product? Even though you think that logically. It should be higher than any Tesla product to date, given given the inherent attractiveness of the body style. But at the same time, the company is just sending out emails to people who had opted for configurations of the vehicle, such as the three-row version that wouldn't come out until 2021, to say, hey, if you uh, uh, reserve one, change a reservation to uh, you know to be a regular two-row, five-passenger version, we can uh, we can make it the spring already for you. And if the company can essentially put you near the front of the line here and make the car already this spring, you really have to question as to how many people really have placed orders for the Model Y. Uh, let's talk about that because Tesla had a reputation with the Model 3 of only really supplying those people that did the full orders, the uh, highly contented orders initially. But it seems to be the other way around. Uh, perhaps the Model 3 with three rows hasn't really been tooled up and ready to go at the factory. Perhaps that's going to happen later. Does this mean that they're sort of doing the opposite now? They're offering the less contented vehicles first? Well, it's not necessarily less content, and I think that if you look at the way that the Model Y looks, and for those of us who had a chance to inspect it in person, this is not a large vehicle. If you think about it, it's basically the size of, a, at best, uh, the Volkswagen um, Tiguan that we are uh, buying here in the U.S. that has an optional third row. That third row is ultra-tiny. Uh, you and I would have a hard time getting in that third row without uh, serious uh, convulsions. 
And uh, in the Model Y, I think that they would probably not want that model to get out there very quickly because it would really show that that third row is, is almost unusable for almost any practical purpose whatsoever. So I think that what they're simply trying to do is that while saying that the car is capable of being a third row, they, they really don't want to manufacture and sell the third row version, but rather uh, the people who put an initial uh, deposit on it um, they uh, they are really encouraged to just go with a two-row version instead, and I think that's what the company's trying to do right now. We got to spend a little bit of time this week together in Canada. Uh, we were up there for the Volkswagen Atlas Crossport launch, uh, driving it in the snow around Whistler. But while we were there, we sat and had breakfast together, and you showed me a report from Tesla that uh, they had only reported doing 12 miles of self-driving testing in California in 2019. That seems awfully low compared to the competition. How does this look, and why are they only reporting 12 miles? Oh, this is absolutely crazy, of course. Uh, the uh, Every year, uh, an, an automaker that conducts uh, testing of self-driving vehicle inside the state of uh, California needs to file a report at the end of the year saying, here's how many miles we drove with a self-driving vehicle, and then how many disengagements were there? In other words, how many times did the driver have to take over because they thought that it would have been unsafe had they not taken over? And in Tesla's case, they said that they had uh, driven a grand total of 12 miles in 2019, and uh, there were no disengagements during that time. And, of course, this is a bit... uh, uh, perplexing given the fact that uh, Tesla probably ought to be testing a lot of self-driving vehicles given the fact that they've promised one million robo-taxes on the roads here by April of this year, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's laughable to us. But nevertheless, uh, they've really not been conducting any testing in California. So uh, what does this mean? Does it mean that they have been conducting testing outside of California? That sounds crazy given the fact that uh, Tesla obviously is based in California and conducts most of its testing there. Or is it simply that they define their testing differently? And that is clearly the answer here. The company is conducting all sorts of testing, but chooses not to define such testing as being self-driving, which of course then undermines, or at least ought to undermine, their claim that they are uh, doing a good job at uh, getting closer and closer to these one million robo-taxes. So this is, really goes to tell you that uh, the companies are really free to use whatever language they want to describe things in the manner that suits them at that particular moment. Now, uh, you're sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit here. A lot of people are doing their testing in Arizona, which is a much more friendly state to, uh, to, to be testing some of these autonomous cars. Is there any possibility that Tesla could have just done all their testing in Arizona? It's possible, but in this case, less likely. I mean, the companies that have been doing most of their testing there, as far as, far as we know, or in particular, Waymo, which is considered the industry leader. Even in California, Waymo had done well over a million miles. I forget the exact number now from the top of my head, but it was significantly larger. It was in the millions of miles. Yeah, 1.48 million, I think it was. That's right. It was one and a half million miles or so in California. So they do also a lot of their stuff, of course, in and around certain areas of Phoenix. But uh, it just uh, defies logic that uh, Tesla with such a very large portion of their installed base in California wouldn't have tested this out. Keep in mind that 
It is Tesla that says that we can use our existing customer fleet to really test this thing out because we basically shadow our customers and we learn from them and you know basically we call it swarm learning or whatever that the, the, we simply learn from the, our drivers and the way that they take a curve and then uh, it gets automatically inputted into the computer how you should take this curve and at what speed and at what angle and so forth so it just doesn't make sense with the way that it's the way that tesla describes its uh, alleged product development superiority that they uh, haven't been conducting this testing, mostly in California. All right. European car sales are in. The numbers are in. We can see who the big winners and losers are. So who are the big winners and who are the big losers? Yeah, so we're talking here primarily about electric cars because that's where the movement is in the market and we're trying to see how the new market shares are developing. And uh, the numbers so far in the calendar year 2020 show that Renault, with their Zoe car, is the leader. And the second best-selling car in Europe has been the Peugeot 208. And if you notice carefully, these two cars are cars that are not sold in the U.S., have never been sold in the U.S., and that most people in the U.S. have never heard of. So the market in Europe is developing very, very differently than the electric car market has been developing as of late here in the United States. So when we look at the world and we're looking at which companies are going to uh, lead in the evolution to electric cars, uh, we need to really remember and take this as a, as a source of uh, uh, humility that the market in Europe is developing very differently under our feet right now than it does here in the United States and that there are cars that are sold in Europe that we will never see here in the United States. Uh, Polestar on track to deliver their Polestar 1 in the U.S. by the end of April. Yeah, this is a car made in China, believe it or not, in Chengdu, China. So this is a very expensive vehicle. Of course, Polestar is the luxury brand of uh, Volvos. And uh, they basically um, make this car in Chengdu, China, and uh, they made uh, some limited quantity of this very expensive car. It starts at about $155,000. And uh, these cars are have arrived in the United States and are being prepped for delivery over the next month and a half and will be delivered by the end of April uh, to uh, customers here in the United States. So we will have a China-made, very expensive, high-end, plug-in hybrid vehicle uh, delivered here in the United States here uh, very, very shortly. All right. What about the Polestar 2? Polestar 2 is the all-electric vehicle that will cost a lot less. Uh, fully loaded, it will start just a hair over $60,000, with future versions uh, being sold uh, a year or two from now in the low to mid-40s. Uh, but those deliveries will not start here in the U.S. until uh, July or so, because manufacturing was supposed to start last Monday, but uh, was postponed to uh, this upcoming Monday, and uh, we'll see if that actually happens or not in China as well, in a different factory in China, in southern China along the coast. And uh, those cars will first be sold in China, then in Europe, and then uh, finally in the United States here in the early to mid uh, part of the third quarter of this year. But that is sort of a direct competitor to the Tesla Model 3 and the Tesla Model Y. When when will we be able to buy a Tesla Model 2 in a, in a showroom in the United States? A Tesla Model 2? I mean, a Polestar Model 2, sorry. Oh, my Polestar uh, 2... Uh, would is scheduled to arrive in the United States at the end of July at this moment. But seeing as this is China right now and we have a very fluid and, and very sensitive uh, uh, sort of macroeconomic and political situation going on there, uh, you know, don't set the farm on that and, and uh, sort of assume that the probability of some sort of delay is probably on the high side. But that's where the schedule currently stands and we'll more, know more here in just a matter of a few days from now. Anton Wallman, independent analyst and investor. You can read his stuff at the street or Seeking Alpha and use all of our stuff is at PowerAutoExpert.com You've been listening 
to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Our Auto Expert. And message us for a quick and witty response. 